I believe there's a hero in all of us. You have great powers, only some of which you have yet discovered. I'm a superhero, my A real life superhero. The world needs extraordinary. We'll make you a superhero. Are you ready to become a hero? Initiating surprise in three. This two is one. The Real Brian Show. It's another Real Brian Show episode. I get to chat with a friend of mine, Jason Hartman. I connected with Jason at ProfitCast, you know, more than two years ago, and then met him at a conference in Vegas, and of course, wanted to bring him here on The Real Brian Show. Jason, wow, what a successful guy. He's been very successful in the real estate and media industries. He's made millions and millions over the years. But more importantly, wow, I mean, what a great outlook and mindset, and he's got some incredible, incredible wisdom to share with us. So let's rock it. It's realbryanshow.com, by the way. And if you've got any questions, you want to get in touch with me, uh, you know, you want to read those blog posts, by the way, because Emily O'Leary, a.k.a. Miss Ice, writes them, and they are incredible. And she puts an additional spin on these episodes, too. So it's not just, you know, regurgitation of what I'm talking about, but actually her opinions, her thoughts, and some incredible content. So do go check those out. But, you know, hey, get over on to Real Brian Show. Get in contact with me. Now, for the... <laughs> Those of you who know this, you know I love being in contact. You know I love chatting with you. So if you've never done that yet, get in touch with me. Tell me how you're doing. Tell me what's going on. Let me know how I can help. You can also join our Facebook group. And uh, it's, you know, it's the Real Brian Show Facebook group. Links are on the website. And you can also go to facebook.com slash groups slash Real Brian Show. If you can remember that. <laughs> Especially if you're driving right now. Don't write that down while you're driving. I will be offended. Well, I'm excited because, uh, as I mentioned, I get to talk to Jason Hartman, and uh, it, it's cool. This this guy, I, I met him a while ago, as I mentioned, uh, but just got a chance to really, you know, hear about what he's doing, and it's it's neat. It's very very neat. And so I'll be chatting with him and introducing him here in just a minute. But uh, thank you so much for joining me here. I love it. I love the fact that we get a chance to talk to some of these incredible people and have such an amazing time. So, uh, well, at least I do anyway. <laughs> I hope you are too. I learn a lot. I mean, I seriously, I sit down and I take all these notes and then I'm starting to put them into an Evernote folder now of uh, different tips and notes that I'm learning from each of these people that I have on the show. And that's my goal. And I've said this before. My goal is to find out these one, two or three things that these people do to set themselves apart and to succeed somewhere in their life. Now, I know a lot of times people will talk about succeeding in business. That's fine. Uh, But there's other times where people will say that, you know, hey, I succeeded here. Um, or a mindset shift, or I succeeded here in a relationship, or uh, you know, whatever, just in life. And so it, it's important. One, I love hearing these stories. They're powerful, they're cool, they're entertaining. Um, but at the same time, you know, I really do love having some of those takeaways to say, hmm, I wonder if I could apply that in my life somehow. I'm always trying to be, you know, better, trying to overcome, you know, that bully in my life, if you know what I mean. So thank you for joining me. Really appreciate it. Jason is a genuine self-made multimillionaire and serial entrepreneur who has 21 businesses in the investing, financing, real estate development, and tech spaces. He has owned properties in 11 states, had hundreds of tenants, and been involved in several thousand real estate transactions. He's visited 79 countries, enjoys adventure, fitness, and lifelong learning. 
Jason Hartman is also the host of 21 Podcasts with over 3,000 episodes where he shares powerful strategies for business, investing, and living a good life. Check out his free podcasts and resources at jasonhartman.com or hartmanmedia.com, and we'll have those links in the show notes. Jason, welcome to The Real Brian Show. Hey, thanks, Brian. It's good to be here. Yeah, it's good to talk to you again. We connected what? Gosh, it's been a couple of years ago now, right? A couple of years ago at the National Broadcasters Association Conference. And I remember meeting you there and I may have met you before at another conference. I can't remember. But yeah, it's amazing how quickly time goes by. And then yeah. I was, of course, on your show a few years ago, too. Exactly. Yeah, I think we were introduced through, it might have been Jessica, if I remember correctly, for ProfitCast. Jessica Rhodes. Yes, yes, yes that's what it was. Okay. So yeah, it was for ProfitCast, and then we did connect over at the, whoa, it's the NAB, but it was also, I can't even remember the name of the show now, <laughs> but yeah, it's I not know, happening anymore. It wasn't, so. it wasn't that great a conference, but yeah, that's what happens, you know, <laughs> yeah. we had a great time in Vegas though, and that was my first Benihana, 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 I like the Benihana, <laughs> Benihana yeah, experience. Yeah, it was a good time. Good stuff. Well, thanks for joining me. I wanted to have you back here on, you know, my new show because your story is just incredible. It's been neat to see what you've done. And one thing I shared on ProfitCast, like I said, a couple of years ago, was that you had made 10 million, or at least at the time, approximately 10 million as a result of podcasting, which is definitely something that turns people's heads. And wait, what? What did you say? <laughs> it's great to hear your story, what you've done with it. But before we get into the story, share something about you or that you've done that most people don't know. I know you do a lot of interviews. You probably share fun things, but what's a fun little tidbit about you? Oh gosh, you're putting me on the spot. I can't think of any fun little, I don't feel like I'm very much fun now. Oh, why? What happened? Uh, well, I don't know. I will tell you, I love aviation. I love flying. Mm. I'm going ziplining on Saturday. I'm taking my whole mastermind group ziplining. So I remember I was in Los Angeles a couple of weeks ago. I went to a couple of Grammys pre-parties and stuff like that. And I went over to visit some of the places where I grew up in Los Angeles. And I also went to the little Santa Monica airport. Oh, and yeah. it just reminded me of my childhood, how I used to sit there watching the little small general aviation airplanes take off and land. Of course, it's more developed now. But yeah, I always loved flying. And yeah, so there's a little tidbit about me. A lot of people don't know. You so. know, that is really cool. That's actually funny that you brought, of course, that tidbit up out of everything. I actually grew up in a family of pilots. My granddad was general manager of American Airlines. My aunt and uncle both fly still for American and United. And oh my gosh, I remember exactly like you said, you know, when I was a kid, we'd fly to San Francisco, which is where they lived at the time. And we'd get, you know, Burger King or Carl's Jr. or whatever and sit at the end of the runway and watch planes land. And I got to get up and get some flight time myself, actual lessons and stuff, log time. I still don't have my license. And that's the one thing that I still would love to do, you know, before I get yeah. too much well, older. My mom's advice that I thought was very sage was, you know, unless you do this often, you should not be flying. And I think that's the mm. true thing. The typical metric for general aviation when the accidents reduce dramatically is when you have over 200 hours. John F. Kennedy Jr. had 120 hours and, of course, tragically died and crashed his plane in the ocean on the way to Martha's Vineyard. And the other thing is, you know, if you fly once a week, you're going to get pretty good at it. But if you yeah. just do it occasionally, it's not a real good idea. I yeah. will tell you something further on that tidbit, though, that's really interesting. People don't know about me. Probably nobody knows this one is. My cousin, who is a pilot for American Airlines, I remember when I was a teenager and I was really fascinated with the space program and aviation, I remember once he picked me up at Santa Monica Airport and we went flying in a little Cessna 172 and I trained in that plane. 
when I was trying to get my pilot's license a bunch of times and some other planes. And he took me over to Catalina. And, you know, I was really fascinated with the concept of zero gravity. And he says to me, he says, hey, you want to try zero gravity? And I said, sure. And I had a baseball cap on my head. It was just my cousin and I. And he was just, I don't know, how old is my cousin? Just several years older than me, not that much older. But he was like early 20s pilot, right? And he took my baseball cap off my head, put it on my lap. And then he started to dive. And when you dive and you reach terminal velocity, as it's called, you know, everything floats. You're experiencing zero gravity, which is what skydivers experience if they go fast enough, if they don't break their fall wind resistance and if they could feel it. But in the plane, everything in the back seat was floating and my hat was floating right in front of my eyes. And I was scared to death when he pulled out of the dive because I thought it would rip the wings right off, which it probably would have. And we were over the ocean on the way to Catalina and from Santa Monica. And, you know, we did it a couple more times. (laughs) And so I have actually, unlike many others, experienced zero gravity a few times. Yeah, (laughs) that is so cool. You know, and isn't it funny how you'll do things like that over the ocean? You know, here's some zero gravity. Let's practice stalls over the ocean. Well, when we did stalls, too, I remember that. And I was so scared. And there was a little thing on the wing, this like a stall indicator, and I could see it lift up and just wiggle around when we started to fall. Yeah. And oh my God, we'd never do that kind of stuff. That's just death defying. A- Don't try this at home. No, no, <laughs> or no. Any- I got to tell you, I enjoyed it. <laughs> I'm crazy, but I was up with an FAA examiner, so, you know, it was fine. But no, you know, it's a good thing to practice and work on in case it happens. But wow, that's an experience for somebody who's <laughs> never gone through that. Oh, yeah. I think they require you to do stall training. But, they do, uh, yeah. yeah it's, it's very scary that's when awesome. that happens. Yeah. Oh, yeah. Well, thanks for sharing. That's great. So I have to ask you this, though, and maybe you know, maybe you don't. I don't know. But you were talking about the airlines because I hear the complaints all the time as well. And, you know, when my granddad worked for American, it was a great company and then it's gone downhill. But I've heard Virgin Airlines is what airlines used to be. Have you flown on them? Yeah, I have flown Virgin. Okay. And I don't know. I didn't think it was that incredible. But yeah, okay. I guess it's nice. Is it better than you American? Know, it's definitely better than American. Everything's <laughs> better than American. Allegiant is much better than American. Ooh. Southwest is dramatically better than American. Well, Southwest is um, awesome. Yeah, the they're, they're great. I mean, with Southwest, you know, I just love it. You get on the plane, the employees actually like their jobs and they smile and you get there on time. And it's yeah. just an amazing thing. Yeah. Can't say the same about Frontier, but we won't go there. <laughs> yeah, I hear Frontier sucks pretty bad. Yeah, it's worse yeah. than American. And it didn't used to be, but oh well. All right. So tell me a little bit about your story. Let's start from kind of where you started, you know, when you were moving on into the world of business and figuring out what you wanted to do with your life sort of thing. Give us kind of a brief overview of your start to where you're at today. Well, from that time in West Los Angeles and living in different areas around LA, I grew up pretty poor, didn't have much in the way of resources or anything like that. I didn't like that very much. And so I wanted to become successful. And I saw this infomercial when I was 16 years old for a real estate guru. And I got interested. I got the guy's book. I read three chapters, put it down. My mom happened to pick it up and read the rest, though. And she got really interested in the topic. I mean, I was only 16, right? So how far am I going to go with this anyway? But two years later, when I was 18, about to graduate from high school, my mom said, you know, there's a real estate seminar this weekend. Why don't you go? So I went to that seminar and I got really, really interested. And I decided I just learn the basic education about real estate because I didn't know anything. I remember one of the speakers at that seminar in Anaheim was talking about points. I'm like, 
what are points? I don't know what points are. And I had no idea what he was talking about. So I enrolled in Century 21 Real Estate School for $99. And I got my real estate license my first year of college. I started selling real estate for Century 21 part-time in Anaheim, California. And, you know, I did pretty well as a part-time salesperson because I did this one thing that very few realtors actually did at time. And I think still, this is a symptom of the real estate industry. I've trained many realtors over the years. I used to own a traditional real estate company. I sold to Caldwell Banker about 12 years ago. So this is still true, okay, unfortunately, of the real estate industry. But I did this really unique thing that other realtors weren't doing. I worked. I actually worked. (laughs) And uh, (laughs) yeah, I know that's a big insult to the real estate industry. (laughs) Sorry, folks. But, you know, a lot of realtors just they just don't actually work. They like think they're living in a country club and they just do a little bit here and a little bit there. And, you know, but I actually treated it like a business. And I worked very hard as a young kid and I did pretty well. And then I bought my first investment property from a client of mine when I was 20 years old. I was about six months into my career, maybe. And I had kind of a bad experience with my first property. I had to evict the tenant. You know, they didn't pay me. They paid for a few months and then they stopped. And I look back on my career and I think I have made a certainly a small fortune in real estate. And I've had now hundreds and hundreds of tenants over the years and just done really well. I mean, I'm very happy with the way real estate has treated me or the way I've treated it might be the better way to say it. (laughs) But I think back and I see what happens to some of our clients because one of my businesses now is a company that basically helps people invest in real estate nationwide. And so we have clients from all over the world and they buy properties in different markets around the U.S. that we like and recommend. And I think about how easy it would have been for me to say, look, I was 20 years old. I had a bad experience. I got burned. That first house on Coventry Lane in Huntington Beach, California, that little crappy one bedroom condo that I bought, it didn't work out. This real estate thing isn't for me. And I could have just given up. And I'm so glad I didn't because I wouldn't have purchased the next property and the next property and the next property. And I just made money on so many of those deals. I made a lot of money and I could have easily given up and I would have had every right to Brian. Hmm. I would have had every right to say, this doesn't work. This sucks. I had a bad experience. I got burned. I would have had every justification in the world to myself and the world to say, this is why I didn't do real estate, right? And what would I have done instead? Mm. You know, well, there's a two-track thing. We're really talking about two tracks here. One is the investor track, where I was investing for my own portfolio. And the other one was the career track, where it was also my career. And I could have given up in both ways. I could have given up in just one. There are lots of people in the career of real estate that don't invest, amazingly. And I would have had every rationalization available that would have been completely logical of why I wasn't investing. But I'm glad I just kept going. I look around and I look at other people in businesses and, you know, we all are affected at one time or another in our lives by the envy gene, right? We get a little oh, yeah. green with envy and we look at what someone else is doing. It's just human nature. It's not exactly a good quality, but it's in <laughs> us all. And we look around and we think, gosh, you know, why is he or she so much more successful? Like, what's their secret? I'm working way harder than they are. 
whatever, whatever the, you know, rationale and the things we tell ourselves. But it's real estate is such a powerful thing because it kind of works in the background. And I remember years ago, one of my early mentors that I discovered at age 17 was Earl Nightingale and, you know, through his cassette tapes back in the day. And I remember him talking about how successful people and how they were so consistent. And he compared and he said, look at the idea of a cruise ship, right? A cruise ship, it doesn't go very fast. It just goes at maybe 20 knots. It's not fast. It's not as fast as a car. It's certainly not as fast as a plane or a helicopter, but it just goes consistently and it's just always moving in the direction of its destination of the port it wants to go to. And, you know, you get on and you do some other things and you have meals and you drink and, you know, you sit by the pool or whatever and suddenly you're there. You know, you're at your destination, even though you're only going 22 knots or whatever the speed is. And it's just because it's just consistent. It's going 24 hours a day. It's moving. And that's kind of the thing about real estate as an investment. At the very worst, it's always moving. It's a forced savings program. The tenants that you have are always paying your debt down. Inflation is always paying your debt down. The property is indexed to inflation, so it appreciates at about the rate of inflation. And there are so many multidimensional aspects from which you earn a nice return on your investment. And it's just this great thing. You sort of, it's kind of there in the background, like that cruise ship moving along. You just kind of forget about it after a while. And then when you get into a bind or you want to do something new or different, maybe you want to change careers or buy something for yourself. You look around and you think, well, I've got these properties sitting here and they've developed more equity and I'm saving on taxes every year. And paying the government less because I'm doing what the government wants me to do. They want me to provide housing. And you've just always got this thing that's not volatile. It's very consistent, like the cruise ship chugging along at 22 knots. Where is your business? You know, yeah, sometimes it goes really well. Sometimes you get a big bonus at your career, in your corporate job, whatever. And you'll have these times where it rockets up, but it's also very volatile and that can go away. And so... That's definitely something I love about income property as an investment. That's interesting. You know, and I like that example a lot too, having been on a cruise ship, but also like, you know, you go on a plane and you're getting there quickly, you know, because the whole point of a plane is to get to your destination as fast as possible. But on a cruise ship, it's the journey. And I love the analogy you're using because so much now, and oh my gosh, everywhere I turn, there's somebody else pitching another training course you know, you name it as far as the industry about how to make money fast. And that's every time they're saying that. And then you realize that the reality, that's just not possible. Everybody that I know that's made a lot of money has done it slow and steady. Yeah. I mean, you can make money fast. I know people who've done it. They usually don't keep it. They usually don't because their psychology isn't set up to keep it. You know, when you make it fast, I don't think you have high regard for it. You don't respect it enough. And you look at all the stories of the lottery winners a year later, they're all broke. The professional athletes, the movie stars, rarely do they hold on to their money. I mean, it's amazing that someone with a career like, take Kim Bassinger, for example, Mm -hmm. right? People remember her. She had a heyday. I mean, she made a fortune and then lost it all. I mean, how does someone like her 
end up in bankruptcy. Yeah. You know, Michael Jackson. I mean, look at the late Michael Jackson. Look at him. You know, he was having financial trouble. How do you have financial troubles when you're Michael Jackson? (laughs) That's crazy, right? Yeah. Yeah. No, that's a really good point because they never learned really how to utilize it. Basically owned them. Yeah. Yeah. Interesting. So, you know, you're in real estate, you get into this and then you get into the world of podcasting, which I found very interesting. Why did you do that? Well, podcasting was just an extension of my real estate business. So I started this real estate investment company because I needed a company to help me invest nationwide. And I couldn't find one. I couldn't find any way to do this easily. Anybody that was competent out there offering this service. So I basically created a business to become my own client because it was something that was just too hard to do alone. You needed a support network. You needed a team. So I created that. I became the company's first client. And when I was getting that business going, I was spending a ton of money advertising it, about 250000 a year advertising on the radio. And I had a little radio show on a station called KRLA in Los Angeles, where I would just do it for every Saturday, once a week, I would do the show. And it, it was okay. It didn't work very well, though. And I remember listening to Leo Laporte in, on KFI, someone called into his show, the Tech Guy show, and someone called and asked about podcasting. And I remember I had a girlfriend at the time who was all in love with her iPod. She was one of these Apple cult members. And now, now I'm an Apple cult member, although we broke up. Uh, but <laughs> <laughs> anyway, she loved her iPod. Yeah. And, um, you know, when I heard podcasting and I had only maybe recently, you know, sometime before got an iPod myself. And I know this sounds like stupid. Why are we talking about iPods? Right. But you know, the word caught my attention. I'll just be honest. You know, I thought this is a cool new technology at the time. So I checked out the podcasting thing and started doing it. And I remember really gaining some traction when I was into maybe episode number 40. And now I have a whole bunch of different shows, over 3,000 episodes. But my main show has got over 800 episodes now. And it just evolved and evolved. And it really became the major lead source for my business. And great way to attract clients where you could teach them long form about real estate investing rather than a 60 second commercial where they have any reason to know, like, or trust you, whether it be trust in your integrity or your competence, either one. This was a great way to connect with people who were interested in becoming real estate investors and they would become clients and it all just evolved that way. Nice. I love that. You're providing a voice to your show as well so that, you know, people know, hey, you know, this is not just a real estate business. Here's an actual real voice. You know, we actually get to hear his passion behind it and of course how much he cares about it and so on. So you're right. I mean, that's the one thing I've always loved about podcasting as an extension of a business is that it really truly gives a literal voice to that business that is usually so desperately needed. Yeah, absolutely. That's really cool. So that's the way it all evolved. And I love income property as a business. And so basically I've just kind of combined what my media company does with my real estate company does. And that's the way it all evolved. So now did you start off? I mean, I know you were interested in it, but has real estate really become a passion in addition to obviously a great business? Oh, no question about it. I mean, one of my big missions in life with my real estate business is to save people from Wall Street. I like to call Wall Street the modern version of organized crime. (laughs) And (laughs) 
it's funny. Whenever I interview Wall Street people on my show and I say that, they really don't take offense. They actually agree. Oh, that's funny. <laughs> you wow. would think when I interview some Wall Street Journal reporter or yeah. some Wall Street person that, you know, I've interviewed CEOs of big giant brokerage firms and so forth. And, you know, they don't really take offense to it. It's that that's amazes nice. me that they don't. But but hey, they wouldn't have any right to. Yeah, well, sure. <laughs> So you're saying you're saving people from, you know, investing in Wall Street, investing in the 401ks and all that and putting your money more in property. Is that what you're talking about? You know, Wall Street is designed to separate the middle class from their hard earned money. That's what Wall Street does the best. And it is just an an epic scam. It's terrible. I mean, the small investor doesn't have a chance. And listen, if you don't believe me, ask a very famous thought leader and author who's written several big time New York Times bestselling books, one that was made into a movie. It's Michael Lewis. You can see his interview on 60 Minutes. Just search it. And he looks right at the camera and he says, Wall Street's a scam. The regular everyday investor does not stand a snowball's chance in hell of competing with high frequency trading competing with the insiders, with the fund managers and the massive amounts of fees they take out of the deal and the graft and corruption of the CEOs, the executives, the boards of directors. And use that term, Brian, loosely, I want to say, because not everything they do rises to the level of true criminality where it would get a court conviction. Okay even if they were tried, which they're never tried most of the time. But even if they were tried, you know, I'm just saying it rises to the level of my opinion and, you know, like an honest person's opinion of criminal behavior, not saying that it's actually illegal. I mean, let me give you an example. Larry Ellison, the founder and CEO of Oracle. Everybody knows Mm -hmm. who Larry Ellison is probably. They know what Oracle is, Mm -hmm. right? It's this great company. And Lou Dobbs, wrote a great book called War on the Middle Class. In chapter two, back in, I want to say that book was out around maybe 2005, Lou Dobbs said that in two years, Larry Ellison's personal take from Oracle was, and forgive me, I don't have the exact right number, but it was something like $770 million. Almost a billion dollars he took out of that company in two short years from 2000 to 2002. Almost a billion dollars he took out. But at the same time, his shareholders lost 61%. Now, how can that be right How can that be legal? And that is legal, by the way, for him to take out that much money at the same time the shareholders are losing money. Now, if he was making money for the shareholders, I would have no objection. I'm a capitalist. I love (laughs) capitalism. But these interests are not aligned. They're not aligned with the investors. So that's why it's a scam. Interesting. And that's why I believe it's criminal, even though it's not criminal in the way a court would interpret it. I think it's just criminal behavior. Well, I totally agree with that aspect of that. You know, if you're doing something that's hurting someone else, that's technically criminal, right? But whether or not it's a legal criminal act, you know, that's a different story. Let me ask you this, though. Okay, so coming at it from just a layman's term, somebody who's investing in Wall Street, are you talking about somebody who has like, you know, a Roth IRA, a 401k? Are you talking about that? Or are you talking about people who are actually trying to do just some basic trading 
on Wall Street, you know, it's all of it. I'm talking all about of all of it. So you're saying it's even even IRAs are a scam, unfortunately. Oh, of course they are. Interesting. Now, the IRA vehicle itself under the tax code, I'm not addressing that being a scam. Sure. I'm talking about the investments in most people's IRAs because their IRAs aren't self-directed. Sure. Now, I have a self-directed IRA. So I get to invest in real estate. I can do notes. I can do a whole bunch of things that are self-directed. But the main thing, Brian, comes down to this concept. I have this thing I call the 10 commandments of successful investing. And one of the commandments that just resonates with people the most is commandment number three. And it is thou shalt maintain control because Mm -hmm. help people do and teach people to do is become direct investors so that they're controlling what they invest in. And listen, sometimes we're our own worst enemies. We may be in control, but sometimes we screw it up, even though we're in control, right? But at least we have only ourselves to blame, (laughs) right? And what happens when people relinquish control, whether it be in a Wall Street investment, stocks, bonds, mutual funds, whether it be in some partnership deal, an LLC, could be a real estate deal, an oil and gas deal, any deal where we don't control the investment, right? It is we leave ourselves susceptible to three major problems. Number one, we might be investing with a crook. Number two, we might be investing with an idiot. Uh, okay. <laughs> so we all know that there's a lot of crooks out there and there's a lot of scandals. Okay. Enron, WorldCom, Global Crossing, Bernie Madoff, John Corzine at MF Global, all of this stuff, right? So there's lots of crooks and scams out there. There's certainly lots of crooks and scams in the world of real estate and everything else. Oh, yeah. Uh, stocks. Everywhere you bonds, go. Everywhere you go. Every industry. Crooks. Yeah, totally. Okay. People are on the take. Okay, so just that's part of the human condition. It's terrible, but it's there. So be a direct investor so you don't get yourself burned by that. Number two, they might just be stupid. You'll lose money because of their crookery or their stupidity, right? And that's no good. The third problem, assuming they're honest and competent, then they take a huge management fee off the top for managing the deal. And so you lose that way. And it's no good any which way. Slice it. And that is the problem. So be a direct investor and don't leave yourself susceptible to those three problems. You know, I really appreciate that. I got to tell you, when it comes to investing, you know, I've heard all the stuff, but I've never really learned how to effectively do it. And that's one of those things that, and you know, I need to learn more about that and invest my time in learning how to invest properly. But that's always something that sort of scared me it's a little a bit. It's a big deal. It it's is. a big deal. Yeah. You know, your investments. I mean, look, you earn money in your job or your business and that's fine, right? Be more effective at that, you know, get the right job, build the right business, figure that all out. But then what do you do with that money? You've got to make your money work for you. If you have a business or you're a manager in a big corporation, you wouldn't hire or hopefully you wouldn't keep around a lazy employee. Yet so many people let their money become lazy where their money isn't working for them. You've got to put your money to work. And that's at least half, if not a lot more than half of the equation in building wealth. It's incredibly important. Yeah, absolutely. Wow. Well, thanks for sharing that. It's very, very helpful. My pleasure. Yeah. All right. So let's do this. Share one, two, or three things at most, you know, that you've done to set yourself apart, you know, to succeed to where you're at today, whether it's in business, 
work-life balance. I mean, even investing, that kind of thing. I mean, I, you've already shared a lot of things and, you know, if you need to repeat a few things, that's fine. But I'm just kind of curious because, you know, you and I both know that a lot of people, their advice will be, oh, I worked hard, you know, but I loved Earl's advice. You know, it's that slow, consistent. That's awesome as well. What is it? Well, that set- working hard is not enough. There are lots of people that work harder than me. I think if you're digging ditches, or you're on an oil platform in the middle of the ocean, your life is probably not as good as mine, okay? <laughs> Even in my struggle stages, okay? And yeah. I'm not you know, struggling now, but I certainly have struggled. Sure. And so working hard is not the answer. You've got to work smart. I mean, the power of your mind and thinking your way through things is dramatically more powerful than your physical body, okay? Yeah. So working hard is definitely not enough, <laughs> unfortunately. <laughs> So that's one thing. But then when you get into what can you do? Well, I'd say, first of all, you want to have some sort of scale to your business and some sort of scale to your investments. Robert Allen has a really good quote, and I'm probably going to butcher it, but it's something to the effect of poverty is when large efforts produce small results Mm. and wealth is when small efforts produce large results. And so if you're in the position of being a thought leader, maybe a blogger, a podcaster, an author, a celebrity, you know, whatever, any sort of thought leadership business, you can just say something and move a market. You can change your life with your words. And that's very powerful. And it's one of the reasons all these idiots in Hollywood should shut up. (laughs) Just because they're celebrities and they're good actors doesn't mean they know anything. Sometimes they do know (laughs) something, but a lot of times they don't. So they should shut up unless they're actually know something. That's true. Uh, And hey, Leonardo DiCaprio, that's you I'm talking to. (laughs) (laughs) A lot lot of hypocrites out there. Oh, yeah. Oh, yeah. Yeah. (laughs) Anyway. But you can make a huge difference just with words. And that's very easy, right? That's a small effort that can produce a large result. Absolutely. And so if you can, you want to get yourself into that position of thought leadership. That's a powerful thing. And we are at a time in history where that opportunity is available to everyone. The playing field has leveled. It has become very democratic. And there are a lot of opportunities for thought leadership. Mm. Formerly, only reserved to political leaders, religious leaders, people like that now available to pretty much everybody. And the marketplace will decide whether or not they want to listen to you. So that's a great, great opportunity. Your literary agent doesn't get to be the gatekeeper. There's no gatekeeper anymore. You can just take your ideas and go out to the marketplace of ideas and the marketplace will decide. Yeah. Okay. I love that. And that's so, so important because, you know, so many people actually do have something to say and it's brilliant and they don't believe that they actually can say it or they don't have an avenue for it. And then, like you said, you've got the people who are out there talking because they have that platform and they're terrible. (laughs) I don't have anything to say. Hey, you know, let the marketplace decide. I I mean, look, you can be an idiot and still make it big. I mean, The other day, I was surfing around Hulu, the streaming TV service, Mm -hmm. and I was surfing around Hulu. And, you know, I had never seen this show, this one show, but everybody talks about it. And so I actually watched six whole minutes of it before I just couldn't watch anymore. It's called Keeping Up with the Kardashians. Now, see, there is an example of how you can be really dumb and produce a lot of dumb content and (laughs) make it big. Yeah, there you go. So that's awesome. Anything else? (laughs) Oh, I don't know. I've pretty much offended everybody by now. So, (laughs) hey, you know what? I've said this on the real Brian show that one, I 
and the real Brian show are politically incorrect. I'm not in it to pander. I'm not in it to try to, you know, whatever. Right. But I do respect, love and value each person. And everybody's got different opinions, but I really love challenging people. And I appreciate you doing that today. Well, my pleasure. And I hope it helped somebody listening out there. And, you know, I just want to say to everybody, get control of your investments, build whatever scale you can in any area of your life to get leverage. Like I noticed that all of the successful people in any area of life, they somehow learn to get leverage on either their own psychology their own energy level. You know, you can get leverage by eating better, by exercising, by controlling your own mind and your own thoughts and not letting them get the best of you. Making sure your thoughts serve you. That's a form of leverage. People like Tim Ferriss and Dave Asprey talk a lot about, and I talk about it on one of my shows, the Longevity and Biohacking Show, the subject of biohacking. Mm -hmm. That's a form of leverage, getting leverage on ourselves so that we can produce greater results with less effort or less time. And there's lots of forms of leverage and scalability. So just think in that way. And I think it can be very powerful for you. I love that. All right. How do we get in touch with you? And you know, where do we need to go to basically get your content? And if anybody's interested in your investing and real estate stuff, your podcasts, all that. Jasonhartman.com, just my name, J-A-S-O-N-H-A-R-T-M-A-N.com for my real estate company. And the podcast is there. You can find my podcast on any podcast platform. Just type my name, Jason Hartman. You'll find all of my shows and it's real easy to access and it's all free and available to you. I interview lots of great thought leaders, very famous people have been on my shows and they have a lot of good stuff to share. So it's a lot easier than buying and paying for and reading their book. A lot of leverage. You get in a lot less time and it's free. So check it out. I love that. Jason, thank you so much for your time. Really appreciate it. My pleasure, Brian. Well, go check out Jason's stuff. I know I'm going to be doing that. Some incredible things there that I uh, I think I need to learn about a little bit more too. So Jason, thanks so much for joining me. Join us Friday. Another Superhero Friday episode is going to be amazing. In the meantime, though, have an incredible rest of your day. Join me at realbryanshow.com and get in contact with me. Thanks for being here. I am The Real Brian, and I'm signing off. The Real Brian Show is a production of 514 Media at 514mediaempire.com.